And now, a reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the 11th chapter, verses 16 through 19, and verses 25 through 30. Jesus said to the crowd, To what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a joy to be with you in worship. I certainly hope that you had a wonderful 4th of July, albeit a different one from normal. Last evening, my wife and I and our friend left the party that we were at and our children there, and we rushed home because we were very excited to watch Hamilton, as it is now streaming on a very famous streaming service. We had tickets to see Hamilton this year, and of course, with COVID, we weren't allowed to, and it was a delight to watch. It made me feel deep feelings for the founding of our country, and uh, I got to say, last night, we were up very late watching this two-hour, almost three-hour piece with tears in our eyes, and so that was the memorable moment for my Independence Day. I hope that you had one that was good as well. Uh, let us go ahead and turn our hearts to God together in prayer. Creator God, we are thankful for the life that you have given us. And we confess as a community that we have not always been faithful with that gift. We have been unwise, we have been wayward, we've been sinful. And even though we have removed ourselves from your grace, you have sent your son Christ to reconcile us unto yourself. And we say thank you, God. And thank you further for how Christ works in us to cultivate a desire for your kingdom come, your will be done. God, we also confess that and believe that you sent your Holy Spirit as a guide and friend and counselor to us. Send your spirit freshly now, God, for we have great need. Make us a community of care through your spirit. Knit us together 
And send your spirit because you and I know without you I can do nothing. Send your spirit that these words from the gospel might transform us and make us more into a holy nation of priests, your royal priesthood, your beloved community. It is in the matchless name of your son that we pray. Amen. There was a young man in the church that I served once before, and he sat on the back pew every Sunday with his mom, his dad, and his grandmother. He grew up at this church. He knocked on my office door, and he said, can we talk? I said, sure, sit down. And he confessed that he wasn't a Christian. He had never been baptized. He never committed himself to Jesus. And so I said, well, tell me more. And he began lobbing a few theological softball questions for me to answer, and we discussed those, and he seemed satisfied. And then he shut my office door, and he said, the main thing is this, though, evolution. I said, okay, go on, tell me more. He said, I just have a really hard time with this whole believing in God thing, because if you believe in God, you can't believe in science. I said, whoever told you that? And that's a belief a lot of people have. And he went on and told me about his education. And so I tried my best to kind of help him understand how the Christian worldview helped kind of spur along science. And, you know, I tried my best to, to figure out what was really eating at him. Finally, I thought, well, let me try this. I moved my chair around to the other side of the desk with him. I opened my laptop, turned off the light, and I found a documentary on the BBC that one of my PhD professors made, and it's all about Darwin and evolution and theology, or religion, faith, and science. And we sat there for 70 minutes watching this thing. I'm wondering the whole time, what's he thinking? It's over. I shut my laptop, turned the light on, and I pull my chair further from him. I look at him thinking, now we're gonna have an interchange that might go on for months, maybe years. And he said, okay, let's get baptized. I have never helped move somebody to Christ or change someone's mind more easily than that. Changing somebody's mind is very hard. We start with opinions and we collect them up like dolls and we hold them dear. And then opinions, when they become deeper, become beliefs. And those are even more difficult to move. And then when we hold those even more, they become convictions deep down inside. Changing someone's conviction is incredibly hard, especially when it's a religious conviction. Because when you have those, you see, they make you feel comfort. They make you feel stable. They are things that you can cling onto and hold onto. Actually, they are, they are elements that help you construct a world that you can understand. And moving those, well, those are challenging and trying works to do. I was teaching a class on the concept of, of resurrection. We looked at every New Testament passage about resurrection. I claimed that the real hope of the Christian is that they would live in Christ, go to sleep in Christ, and at the last be raised with Christ in a very real way. I got to the end of the class and I asked questions and somebody raised their hand and said, yeah, I don't know about all that. I said, what do you mean you don't know about all that? It's in the text. And this person said, well, you know, I grew up learning that when you die, you just go to heaven. I don't really know about this resurrection. I'm just, 
I'm not going to believe that. I'm just going to believe the other thing that I was taught my whole life. It's hard to get people to change their minds. And here's a little inside scoop into ministry life. We ministers to get together and we have pity parties about how it's hard it is to move the needle about ideas, about God. It's challenging. It was challenging for Jesus too. Here he is talking to a group of people and he says, how can I talk about you, this generation of people? He compares them to children singing a song in the streets and basically it's an illustration that says no answer, no thing was good enough. And then the concrete story is, look, John, you remember my cousin John who came along preaching and he didn't eat or drink anything, he fasted all the time? When you heard him, you put your hands on your hips and you said, that dude's got a demon. And then I come along, preaching and teaching, and I eat and I drink. And you say, he is a glutton and he's a drunkard. You can't win. No matter what is done, you can't win. You just criticize me and my cousin for different things, but for the same reason. To me, this means that no generation is unique. Each generation of people tries to develop convictions or something to believe in, especially about religion, and then we find ways of holding on to them very tightly, and then sometimes we find ways of throwing them at each other like snowballs. Our own generation, for instance, has achieved this. We have made a culture war out of a pandemic. And it seems everything else as well. Now, Jesus responds to his generation. Thank God that God's wisdom and God's truths are still making it to us in the hearts of the infants. Oh, not in the pundits and the politicos, but in the hearts of the young and the hearts of those we least expect. It's children who might get a glimpse. Let the child lead. Let the children lead, some have said. Now, I think that we all know something about what Jesus felt when he looked into his divisive world. We're looking into our own a world that is so thoroughgoingly certain. We know our certainties and we have them and we hold them close. A world that uses religious ideas in a weaponized fashion. That world for Jesus is the same for us, I believe. It is a world that is in fact weary and tired. And weary. So Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. What I have for you is not heavy, but light. Come, come to me, Christ says. If you're weary, come, and I will give you rest. I feel this weariness ever more in our world. You would have thought that a pandemic would have united a nation, but it hasn't. Over 77% of the population polled says they think we're more divided now than ever before. But as I stand before you today, I am not 
really interested in the unity of a country or a nation because I come to you as your pastor, as a churchman, interested in the church, the unity of the church, and how the church can bring rest to a broken and hurting world. And I look for tools. I look for stories like this where Jesus reminds us that no matter what we're holding on to and throwing at each other, Jesus is there to provide rest for a weary soul. But I also have tools in the foundation of this great congregation, Peachtree Christian Church. Our founding document said that we want to be a cathedral for the city of Atlanta. It is as if the church had arms and opened them wide to the city and said to people who were weary and tired, come in here, come to this place and to these people for sanctuary. There's a window, a great window, that faces the great corridor of Peachtree Street. And Jesus stands in the center with his hands like this. Can you guess what the inscription says? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. That is Peachtree's visual introduction, an invitation to a city and to a world. And boy, does it teach me a lesson. That we are to follow a Christ who wants to take the weary world and bring it peacefully under his good care. And that we're to embody that as a church. And that might be hard for you to imagine. How do I embody that if I can't easily just drive to my church? Maybe you think you got to drive to church, come in, sit down, get collected, get some ideas, and then we take this peace, this rest of Christ wherever we go. But I'd like now to remind you of another metaphor for church. We use the metaphor of a cathedral for the city, a gathering place, and that's a good one. Here's another metaphor that I find helpful, and that is that the church is a field hospital. You know what a field hospital is. A field hospital is used in battle, behind the lines of war. It's not made up of brick and mortar and glass and steel. It's made up of canvas and ropes and poles. But churches like that in a world where we're still waiting the full rest of Christ to fall upon it all, in a world where we're still waiting for God's whole kingdom to come and for heaven and earth to overlap, we're like a field hospital. Battle rages all around, weariness and trouble and war all around, but we are a tent for people to gather and find peace. In a field hospital, war-torn soldiers and weary ones will be brought for triage and sometimes quiet. Now, if you're a Christian, you're the church. You don't have to be in a building. So I submit to you the field hospital analogy should be helpful to you because it means that wherever you're situated in this very moment, it is as if you are that outstretched rope and canvas and stake in the ground and that all who gather or who are around you right now may feel the peace of Christ that you are feeling or are offering. I know that it's a hard time. It's hard to change minds. And that's what we're trying to do, isn't it? Change minds, change minds. Hurl ideological grenades. Use illogical memes. Cling to our convictions because that's how we've understood our world. And the good work of Christianity is is actually in looking over ourselves and examining it. And that's something we all must do. But don't forget this. 
in the weariness, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And friends, may you bring that rest to others who are weary wherever you go. God bless you.